equals Sindile Tansi. Now, uh, if uh, some of you aren't familiar with uh, the story of um, Sindile Tansi, he was municipal manager in the Mwuma local municipality, which is uh, all the way out uh, in, uh, uh, I think, Kotuwa, uh, area that, that area there. And uh, so I was asking, yeah, I mean, were some of these issues ever resolved there? Because, uh, you know, there were big issues around uh, huge tenders there. And uh, we saw the municipal manager there passing away in a collision as well. And uh, she's uh, come back and said to us, fed up residents were protesting two weeks ago over water issues in the same area. It seems things have never been okay. And uh, she then adds, uh, which I, I think for me adds to this intrigue. And if you're a filmmaker, hey, 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 Kunzima, South Africa, guys. She says, remember that his co-accused, uh, one uh, Mr. Nombembe, also died the same way. Now, uh, it was a fiery crash and uh, both of them dying in collisions there. And they were at the center, it seems, of um, this uh, particular challenge there in relation to large tenders in that uh, Eastern Cape municipality. So certainly all of the intrigue and speculation around the passing of Gavin Watson does have some precedent here in South Africa. It's not uh, the first time. Uh, that uh, we uh, hear of uh, things of the sort. But uh, that being said, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, do give us a ring on 089-110-3377. Also going to be checking out those tweets there on uh, Twitter. So do send those through on at MetroFMSA. You can also send them through to me on at AYKAWAYKAMAGUBANGUMSHABA on uh, Twitter. We're now going to go into our shop stewards uh, a corner and uh, one of the things we're taking a look at today is uh, how important is it is it advisable to have worker representatives in many of the boards now uh, let me give you a little bit of trivia and uh, maybe some of those who are a bit older uh, will uh, i guess uh, correct me here on this one but it, I, I did come across it a few years ago and um, i want to ask the question who was the first trade unionist in south africa to sit on a board um, and uh, I'm not a I'm not a sort of a, a betting person or anybody who's in a position to give any wages. Uh, but let me tell you, if you get this one right, I'll certainly give you a gift of uh, nodding approval and appreciation and acknowledgement of uh, your knowledge and understanding of trivia. Who was the first trade unionist in South Africa to sit on the board of a corporation? And I can give you a clue. I think it happened in 1993. Uh, so uh, do let us know, and uh, I'm not giving any other clues because uh, certainly this person, uh, I guess, uh, had a, I must say, uh, a very visible part in our politics and continues to have that as well. Uh, so we're going to take this brief break and go into our shop stewards uh, conversation. I'm going to be joined by a senior lecturer at the School of Humanities at Sol Plati University. That's Dr. Crispin Chinguno. And uh, he's certainly written extensively about the corporatization of the trade union movement. Also going to be joined by uh, uh, Ruben Maleka, who's the Assistant General Manager at uh, the uh, Public Service Association. They've made a call over the last uh, while for much greater representation of workers in the Government Employee Pension Fund and even in the Public Investment Corporation. And we did see in that new board, uh, uh, Satu General Secretary Mugwena Maluleke making it into that board and uh, certainly in response to that. And the big question we're asking ourselves this evening in our Shop Stewards Corner does this, I guess, translate to much better governance or more progressive governance of uh, some of these institutions to have uh, former trade unionists or current trade unionists 
on the boards. We've certainly seen an extensive history of that. I mean, I remember as well in Zimavavi when he was still in Kosatu, he sat on the board of the Industrial Development Corporation, Franz Baleni similarly. And uh, I guess historically in many of the sectors, you would see uh, many former and current trade unions sitting on the boards of some of the entities that they serve under or historically served under. Let me know what you think about that. And uh, on the other side of this uh, brief spot break, I'll be joined by Dr. Crispin and Ruben for our Shop Stewards Corner. Ten minutes it is after 8 p.m. And uh, uh, join me as I welcome uh, some of my guests now on the line. Uh, Ruben Maleka and uh, Dr. Crispin Chinguno. Good evening to the pair of you and uh, uh, welcome to Metro FM Talk. Good evening, Ayabonga, and uh, good evening to the listeners. And uh, Dr. Chinguno? Yes, uh, good evening, everyone, and uh, good evening to the listeners. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. Now, uh, Ruben, let me maybe start off with you, and I'll come back to you, Dr. Crispin, and uh, just talk to you, I guess, about the more contemporary context around this particular debate of uh, having worker representatives in the boardroom. And uh, you'll maybe let us know whether or not uh, this is advisable. You've certainly made the call uh, at the GEPF and the PIC for much greater representation of working people. Uh, from uh, unions like yourselves as the PSA or even uh, Nehau, which is that public sector union uh, linked to the trade union federation, COSATU. Um, uh, what's the rationale behind making this particular case? And uh, I guess uh, surely it must throw up in the air some of the contradictions that uh, uh, this uh, presents. On the one hand, you want to maybe, I guess, jostle for more of uh, the um, sort of surplus in the workplace uh, uh, and wrestle some of that away from capital. And then on the other uh, also sitting in the decision-making roles around production. Yeah, definitely, um, as, as the trade unions in South Africa, the time has come that we actually you know, strengthen corporate governance and ensure that uh, where actually the workers themselves, they are making investments and they are making their savings into any particular company, any particular uh, institutions. There should always be worker representation in order to make sure that we safeguard the interest of the workers. In, uh, for example, if you look at the PIC and the GPF, 80% of GPF or PIC investments is 80% of uh, the public servants' um, savings in terms of pension. Definitely, as the trade unions, our uh, our presence in, on the board of PIC is simply to make sure that we protect and advance the interest of workers in general to make sure that we really protect and ensure that by the time any one of the members goes on pension, he's securely ensuring uh, that there is a pension that is available for him. And def- definitely we want to be uh, represented in the board of, of the PIC, GPF, and other boards where we believe that we should be equally advancing the workers' interest. Mm-hmm. Dr. Crispin, let me bring you in here. I mean, what, what do you make of that uh, kind of assessment when we look at the historic track record of uh, uh, you know how trade unionists have fared when they have been part and parcel of these boards with their own existing and institutionalized cultures. And uh, I was asking some of our listeners earlier on, uh, you know, just a bit of trivia there, who was the first uh, a trade unionist here in South Africa to sit on uh, the board of a corporation. And I've already gotten an answer, and uh, I must say that answer is correct. But that being said, much of your work, Dr. Chiguno, has been around talking about what happens when trade unions become corporatized and uh, what that means for worker democracy and worker control of these vehicles, which are aimed at, I guess, you know, uh, being a vessel for the aspiration of workers and also their tool to try and influence conditions of production, conditions uh, of work and conditions of remuneration. Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, 
That is sort of when you try to look at the relationship between uh, the trade unions and and, 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 and and their employers, sort of like having trade unions in the, in, in the board. Uh, it's sort of like in a way we need to go back to when you try to understand the relationship between the trade unions and the and, and, and their employers. It sort of is very much tied to the history, and and and, and it's also tied to. What happens? There's a, there's a relationship between the broader relations, the broader political relations in the society, and the relations at the at the at the, at the, at the point of production. So, what is important here is sort of like we need to look at the history, our history, the history of the trade union movement, the trade unions, and how they sort of like relate to the, in terms of what sort of industrial relation model sort of like characterizes our industrialization in South Africa. Mm. So we, see, we we sort of like in a way comes from, unfortunately, we come from a history of a very antagonistic sort of like industrial relations uh, sort of like regime, which poses challenge in terms of maybe how the relationship uh, between labor and, and, and between labor and, and, and the trade unions and, and, and employers manifest itself. It's very much tied to that history. It comes from a history that is so to sort of like in a way change it to uh, to, to a youth where there's collaboration. Collaboration, yes, but it's sort of like in a way it comes from the history that is very antagonistic. So they, we need to draw on the experiences of other countries, how they manage to sort of like in a way to adopt that system where there's sort of like cooperation, or in the case of Germany where there's co-determination between uh, trade unions. And 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 and, 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 and their employers, but it would be sort of like a new. I think the local relations it, it, it sort of like trying to have that provision at a much more localized level where we have got these what do they call the employment some sort of like employment forum where employers are supposed to consult, but sort of like to institutionalize it at a much more sort of like a high level. I think it is sort of like in a way it's much more it's much it's a much more bigger question in terms of maybe how do we how do we deal with this uh, antagonistic sort of like past? And then how do we create a new relationship between labor and, and, and the capital? And, capital? Mm, mm. and you, you know, I guess, you know, Dr. Crispin frames, uh, Ruben, much of the uh, developments that have happened post-1994, both the possibilities and some of the limitations of having uh, uh, worker representatives on boards around our industrial relations framework and uh, I guess the aspiration of having a more harmonious uh, environment. But we've seen that uh, in many instances that doesn't happen. And uh, uh, what then happens, uh, uh, Ruben, when you know clearly this leads, and, and I want to use this, uh, this term in as liberal a sense as is possible, leads to the capture of uh, workers' interests and uh, capture of some of their leadership because many people uh, within uh, the trade union uh, movement often talk about the social distance between the leaders and, of course, the rank-and-file membership. And uh, what impact would, I guess, the deployment of some people to sit on a board, you know, to sit there, nice air-conditioned meetings, uh, you know, uh, board packs and, say, 100,000 rand a pop uh, per meeting, uh, wh- what impact would that have on uh, the social distance that uh, has been seen by many working people between worker leaders and the rank-and-file? Uh, thanks, thanks, Abonga. You know, I, I couldn't hear the doctor there because uh, it was a little bit fake, but to your question, let me tell you, uh, Abonga, as the TSA, we've actually been vocal to say uh, we believe that the, the worker leaders should be on the board of directors where 
they will be able to guard against any interest and rights of of the members. Okay. And on that, we that at the same time, we believe that they should not be remunerated sitting on those boards as the worker leaders. Mm. And we are saying the trade unions movement in South Africa must change and be in a such a way that the worker leaders themselves will think that trade unions are paid well to an extent that they will be sitting on these boards as worker representation without any of those pegs. Because, yes, indeed, it's possible that once you sit on the board and enjoy all those pegs, you might also be captured. So that's why we are saying that the, the leaders that sit on this board should actually be sitting there making guarding against any interest and rights of the workers without any remuneration or pegs given by the employers. Because obviously, while you are then doing the pegs, yes, indeed, the possibility is that you might be captured. Mm. And what's the benefit? I mean, uh, surely one would think that they, there's also some benefit in uh, having worker representation there in terms of some of the issues that one would raise. And uh, maybe what in the past experience that we've seen has led to sort of limitations in that? Because I mentioned the example earlier on of uh, Franz Baleni and Zuelin Zimavavi, both very senior ranking members uh, within uh, the Federation Kosatu. But uh, uh, when I think about their involvement at the sort of um, IDC, uh, one would want to ask, you know, what impact have did their involvement have in changing the landscape of industrial financing here in South Africa? Look, let me talk more about the PIC, for example, mm. because that's where the actually at the TSA we are currently uh, having our uh, general manager, general secretary sitting there on the board of PIC. And while we have made a call um, to Parliament and make representation in Parliament to say the act. Uh, the PIC Act must be amended to include the local leaders on the PIC board. Mm. It's basically to make sure that uh, when any issues relating to investments, that relates to workers. For example, currently we're having the PIC make investments economically out there without any kind of a social investment that would benefit the workers themselves. The question is that why today most public servants who are the investors in PIC, they never get any some sort of uh, you know, you know, assistance from PIC. For instance, in terms of housing, why would not PIC invest in social housing scheme that will benefit the, the, the depositors who are the employees and the public servants? So we want worker leaders sitting there, look at those decisions, you know, make sure that those kind of issues are, are, are feathered. End of the day, the public servants who are making those deposits and actually make, uh, people are using their money to make money while they are actually sitting there and they can't even afford houses or medical aid. So we want a kind of leaders that can look at those issues when investments are made, they look after the workers, the workers at the same time, while employed, they benefit through their investments. So we want those kind of things to happen uh, and the worker leaders on, the, on those boards to take them forward in, while in those meetings. Instead of having private individuals sitting on these boards. And while all what we see is that we hear that the investments that have been made and they're just actually only corporate investment without actually benefiting directly the, the depositors. Mm, okay. Gentlemen, let's pause there for a second. And uh, at Dr. Chiguno, I want us to take this break. And when we come back, I'll get some of your views uh, on uh, what uh, Ruben is raising and uh, in light, of course, of some of the experiences that working people have had. And uh, also uh, invite uh, some of our listeners here to weigh in on our conversation. You might be a member of a trade union or, or have... Uh, been deployed by your union uh, to sit on a board of trustees or even on a board of directors. Uh, let me know what you think about uh, the conversation that we're having and some of, and let us in on some of your own experiences 
and uh, uh, whether or not uh, those environments allow you to further the interests of the workers that you represent. Give us a ring on 089-110-3377, 089-110-3377. We come back after this break. 23 minutes it is after 8 p.m. Uh, we are in our shop stewards corner on this Monday and we're asking, is a worker representation in uh, the boardroom advisable? And uh, I'd asked you earlier on, of course, uh, who was uh, the uh, first trade unionist uh, to uh, sit on the board of a corporation here in South Africa. And Sipor uh, at uh, GPNDW uh, says it was uh, Cyril Ramaphosa. Well, Sipor, uh, you are wrong. Uh, it was not Cyril Ramaphosa. But uh, Lundi and uh, Dutane, uh, there, my friend, and uh, Zueli Chazwe uh, are correct. And uh, let me take a listen to what Zueli Chaz says. He says, he mantashed on the Sabanko board. And uh, that is indeed correct. Yes, it was Gwede uh, Mandashe Okwati served on the board there of uh, Samanko, I understand, in 1993 uh, when he was still uh, with, uh, we understand, the um, uh, National Union of Mine Workers. Now, Shum's also coming in there saying it's James Mutlatsi. Hey, I, I don't know. That's not. Those aren't the facts that I have uh, uh, when, when Shum's up. But my understanding is that indeed Gwede Mandashe was the first uh, unionist to sit on the board of a uh, uh, company there, and he sat on the board of uh, Minas Samanko all the way out in 1993. So some interesting trivia there, and uh, kudos to Lundin Dutane and Zueli Chaz were there for helping us out. And uh, Zueli Chaz were also coming and saying unionists must sit on the boards, especially supervisory boards, but remuneration must be split 50-50 with the union. The seat must be rotated, and the seat is a union seat, not a Vavi seat. Uh, these workers should be uh, trained on own role and not trained by the uh, corporations. Now, uh, Dr. Chingudo, uh, I uh, hope we certainly have you on a better line there because uh, I posed a question uh, to uh, Ruben Maleka before we went to the break, which was, you know, uh, how do we, I guess, make the case for board representation and uh, what do we seek to achieve? What What, what is the... I guess, intended outcome here. And uh, some of the things that he was mentioning was, uh, for instance, in the case of the PIC, uh, the aim is to try and steer them in a direction that is more, I guess, uh, sensitive to the needs of working people in their asset allocation decisions. And he made the case of uh, social housing. And I'm quite interested, uh, certainly in some of the work that you have done uh, in uh, some of the more sort of uh, historic and uh, established trade unions in South Africa, in particular the NUM, uh, whether or not you see uh, the possibility of uh, I guess uh, uh, that actually happening within the confines of board etiquette or, or sort of the approach that the management team uh, takes and uh, in the exercise of, of course, the oversight that uh, boards uh, exercise over management teams. Okay, uh, thank you. I think let me start off by saying when you want to understand the union, I think we need to take note of the fact that the union as an institution it's, uh, it's occupies a very contradictory space. What I mean here is like a union can be, on one hand, be a force that can be used by the workers to challenge, uh, sort of like, as a, as a, as a, as a, to challenge, sort of like, uh, exploitation by the employers. The workers come together. That's how the union emerged. And at the same time, union can also be used to manage the system in terms of the, the capitalist sort of system. So there's no problem in the union getting involved in in in, in board of in board of management, but the problem that emerges sort of like in a way, in most of the time the union tends to to draw from from professor the, the, the that sort of like in a way that presents a paradox 
in a way that the union, it's sort of like uh, the, the, the involvement of the sort of like institutionalization of the union by involving, by getting it involved in boards of management, it sort of it demobilizes the union in a way that the union loses power but gain, gains influence. So what it happens, sort of like, in other ways, it becomes, it becomes almost unnecessary for the union to go and mobilize and organize its members on the shop floor. Mm-hmm. So, the pro- mm-hmm. so the problem with that is sort of like we, the union becomes, uh, over time, the union becomes alienated from its membership because it's not necessary for it to keep on going there because it's already, it's already on the board of management, it's already on the board. So over time, the union loses, loses power as an organization but it gains gain influence. So at the end of the day, inevitably, the union will sort of like, in a way, it will, it, will, it, will, it will end up sort of like, in a way, facing challenges in terms of legitimacy, but the union becomes discon- disconnected from each constituent which is supposed to represent. So this is how so sort of the contradiction is important. In a way, the union gets influence in terms of decisions that are made by the company at a much more sort of like executive level in the union. But we should not forget the fact that Ultimately, the union will lose power as an organ. It will lose itself as a union. Mm. Ultimately, there's no way. There is no way that it can. It can be able to maintain its sort of like in a way itself as a union. It, it will sort of like in a way. Ultimately, the union will sort of like in a way. It will gain. To use Professor Butler's uh, concept here, it will gain power. It will gain influence, but loses power. What do you make of that, Ruben? Do you agree? No, no, no. Uh, in fact, I disagree with, uh, with the doctor because um, I'll give example. For instance, when we have, uh, let's say, previous like the PIC, they've made investments that did not come with uh, any returns at ESCOM and they also some to an extent uh, issue of VDS. But we expect that while we have the worker leader sitting in the board like PIC, we don't expect those kind of investments to still happen. So which means that, in a way, we'll still be able to hold the deployed um, worker leaders accountable because definitely they can't just be sitting there and we still hear about these kind of investments that are dodgy, that are uh, not accountable, that are not bringing any returns to the investment. So we expect that we have skilled uh, uh, deployees from trade unions who have knowledge and skills to sit on, would not just want anybody to just go and sit on the board because uh, it, it, it represents the workers. We want somebody with the skill, knowledge, and, and competency. And those are the workers leaders that must be deployed to, to ensure that any of the day, when anything goes wrong in terms of investment, in terms of the governance of, of the institutions, will still be they'll still be held accountable, meaning that as you know nowadays, obviously, those kind of things, when they happen, we can actually take on the individuals as the board members, including even our worker leaders. We can take them on and, you know, take them to court and sue them and make sure that we declare them delinquent. So they are aware, fully aware that, you know, every worker, at, even at the workplace level, they are aware that the time is past where we just find a leader coming to address people and say, this is what is happening and lying. Because people now have knowledge and they can go through the process. They know exactly why uh, the people sitting on the board will hold them accountable. So I don't agree that we're at this, if we've got the worker leaders on the board, we will actually gain popularity but lose power. Because at the same time, while sitting there, 
we will be able to actually uh, make sure that the workers themselves actually there's transparency. They know exactly mm-hmm. what's happening in this board. But, but I guess no longer Ruben, a, a, you know, just a boardroom yeah. meeting without any you know, public sure. knowledge of saying what's happening within the streets, where the investments are, mm. or the interests are, or their rights. So, so Ruben, so if I can come in there, account. yeah, if I can come in there, I think I think one of the the points that Dr. Chukuno is making, which I, I find interesting, and I'd love to hear your view on this, yes. is that w- with the split attention, right, that comes with uh, you know paying attention to some of the issues that are happening at an apex level in a company, does it create a, a kind of a disincentive? for you to continuously organize your base, right? And uh, I guess much of what he's saying comes from a certain experience, which uh, potentially is not in the PIC or even uh, in the case of the PSA, but where they've seen instances where the moment, I guess, the union uh, sort of uh, tends to corporatize and, uh, you know, uh, ends up sort of sitting in much of the, uh, I guess, uh, palace politics there, they, they end up, uh, I guess, losing uh, this uh, connection and uh, this uh, impulse to organize their rank and file. And uh, uh, do you get a sense that, I mean, in how you are proposing this representation, that you would have the necessary safeguards to uh, uh, prevent that? No, definitely. That's why I'm saying that we are not just uh, uh, deploying anybody there because we need a person who can be able to balance between uh, being on the board at the same time taking that interest of the workers so that it's not consumed in the uh, discussion of the boardroom of, of, of that kind of a corporate. But at the same time, be able to know that where it's coming from and what mandate he must carry there and ensure that he protects the workers. So that's why we are definitely sure that um, the worker leaders that are deployed will not be consumed in the bathrooms of those organizations. Mm-hmm. Let me give, uh, unfortunately, gentlemen, we, we have run out of time, but let me give the last word to uh, Dr. Chinguno. Dr. Chinguno, I'd love to hear your viewpoint, one, on, uh, I guess, uh, what Ruben is raising around the remuneration of whoever they would deploy to some of these boards. They are saying that money must come back to the union or we must not take any salaries. Zuelicha was saying, let's maybe go for a 50-50 split. How material is that to, I guess, the social distance and uh, the disincentive to organize that we were talking about earlier on? And uh, more importantly, I guess, uh, what kind of safeguards do we put in place to ensure that uh, effectively the involvement of uh, working people or worker representatives in the apex decision-making structures of a corporation, the corporations that they work in every single day, uh, doesn't necessarily have uh, adverse impact for the organization of workers. Okay. I think uh, it's a very difficult sort of like uh, situation to, to, to manage, but uh, I think what uh, I can say is there's need to maintain uh, sort of like in a way the, 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 the connections between if uh, the, 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 the union needs to make sure that uh, once they've got people who have been elected into board of management, those people, they need to make sure that they maintain connections with the shop floor, rank and file and shop floor members at the, at the, at the, at the lower level. But this is, a, this is quite a very difficult thing to do because the, the moment you, 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 you become high up there in terms of in the board, it becomes very irrelevant or necessary to to reconnect with those structures because you're already protected by by the institution of industrial relations it becomes very difficult for, for, for that to be for that to be managed but I think it's they it, it need to be sort of like accountability in terms of how the reporting structures how they report if they're in the board of direct uh, of, of directors they need to in terms of maybe how do they keep on direct uh, reporting to their membership, how do they keep on getting um, uh, what you call, uh, call mandate from their membership so that at least there is an 
there's a the bandwidth the that they have at any given time is does not sort of like you know it remains sort of like relevant and, and the main the members on the ground remain informed in terms of maybe the changes that that will be happening. But in many cases, we've got someone out there in the board, and then sort of like get disconnected from what is happening on the on the ground. So they need to maintain that sort of like that uh, that conversation between the, 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 all the structures of the union from the very lowest sort of the and fire. So they, they understand what what is what is happening, and then they also to 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 respect collective uh, decision and decision that comes uh, from the shop floor that is what the mandate of the members it's also quite very important in a way to to keep to, to renew that that mandate need to be renewed time and again to avoid the situation where you, the, 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 the the union representative who will represent the workers in the in the in the board you sort of like he or she becomes disconnected from the realities on the on the ground and then and then when it comes to remuneration I, I don't know if a union member is in a board of directors and and and, and it raises the question around uh, the, the sort of like you know to the other members they feel it's a, it's a, it becomes a way to, to up the hierarchy in terms of we end up being co-opted. So there's a bit in a way in terms of maybe how this can be how this can be and can can be managed in terms of maybe to do to sort of like in a way it should maybe definitely they need to uh, to be Union represent they must be. I feel they should be in a way remunerated, but at the same mm. time, taking cognizance that it does not disconnect them from their from it does not become the what we call it the the the, the, the end to the to the, to the means so that everyone is just decided to get in there and then to as a way to to up the hierarchy and then it it, it will defeat the whole cause in terms of representing the mandate mm. and the work. Yeah. Okay. Gentlemen, we'll have to leave it there, and I really appreciate uh, both of your time. Dr. Crispin Chinguno, Senior Lecturer at the School of Humanities at the Salt Lake University, and uh, also joined by Assistant General Manager at the Public Service Association, the PSA, and that was uh, Ruben Maleka. And we'll have to leave it there. Really appreciate uh, both of your time. Uh, 23 minutes it is now uh, before the uh, top of the hour. On the other side of this, under the microscope, we speak to uh, a doyen in the world of uh, black business. And uh, her name is Dr. Anna Mohokong. And uh, she is also the uh, chancellor at the Northwest University. And she's going to join us uh, shortly uh, for our under the microscope conversation. And uh, we talk to her about, of course, uh, uh, the uh, world of business as it relates, of course, to uh, many of uh, the women in our country. And um,